All right, so my, my name is Davis Sweat. For those of you who are new, I see some new faces. It's great to see you all. Um, I'm the campus minister here uh, at Texas Tech with RUF. I'd love to get to know you more, learn more about you. Come over, hang out with my family. You know, I've got a newborn. If you want to hold an infant, uh, rock an infant, we would love to pass her off to you. Um, I also uh, wanted to introduce you to my friend Larry, Larry Lafreniere. He's in the back. Um, so RUF exists because of people like Larry. Larry loves campus. He loves students. Um, and he supports this ministry. He prays for this ministry. And, and so I wanted him to be able to just see uh, what y'all are like, who y'all are. Um, and also for you to see him as someone who loves you, really does. Um, Larry's a, a member of uh, Providence. Um, he teaches Sunday school there. Uh, and I know uh, one thing about Larry is he loves teaching people God's word. Uh, and he loves uh, getting to know um, people like you. So I encourage you to get to know him. Um, he'll be actually speaking in a couple weeks here. Um, so one thing we say every week here at RUF um, is that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That RUF is a place you can come and be fed in rest, in community. That wherever you're coming from tonight, wherever, wherever you find yourself, I've heard midterm week. You know, I've heard the tire uh, just the, the tiring uh, places that, uh, that some of you are in, wherever you find yourself, uh, just know that you're welcome here. That my hope is that we would gather uh, into this room, not as a Christian club where everyone here thinks the right things, where you're just a card-carrying Christian, where everyone here uh, looks the same, does all the right things, looks and acts the right way. Uh, no, uh, my hope is that we would enter here with an understanding that we need help. That we need the grace of Jesus. And that this would be a place you can experience the love, grace, and mercy of a God who longs to help you. A God who longs to meet you and provide for you. And so one of the ways uh, God restores us, that God meets us, is by giving us his word. And so that by his word, we are given the grace we need to walk in this life, to know him. And so one thing we try to do every week is we study, study a certain passage in the Bible. And it's the hope that God would transform us, that God would change us, that God would heal us, that he would comfort us. So this semester in RUF, we've been studying Jesus's words at the beginning of Matthew 5. And they are commonly known as the Beatitudes. And one of the reasons I wanted us to, to study the Beatitudes was because in the Beatitudes, Jesus, he really gives us a vision for what his people are supposed to look like. A pastor I admire, his name is Ray Ortland. Um, he says that the Beatitudes are Jesus's kingdom making tread with the earth. So in other words, what does it look like to be a Christian? Uh, one that follows 
Jesus as the king? Uh, What does it look like in the world today? What does it look like on a college campus? And Jesus is saying, it looks like this. That you can read your Bible every morning. You can have a thousand verses memorized. You can pray. You can go to church every week. You can be discipling a hundred people. You can never cuss. You can never do anything wrong. You can completely follow every single rule. And still, you cannot be a Christian. Because being a Christian, it it transforms you inwardly. It changes you. That you can actually be doing all of those things and still be incredibly prideful. You can still be very judgmental. You can still be angry. You can still be entitled. And know that Jesus, he is concerned with transforming you from the inside. And that changes what you do. And so Jesus offers us these characteristics of what life in his kingdom really looks like. And they're really counterintuitive uh, to the way life should work, (laughs) the way we think life should work, especially in college. So for instance, the kingdom of Texas Tech. The kingdom of Texas Tech says, don't be poor in spirit. Be proud. Be proud in spirit. You know, don't mourn. Just do what makes you happy. Uh, Don't be meek. Take what's yours. Uh, Make your own way. Be impressive. Uh, Don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for success. Hunger and thirst for popularity. Hunger and thirst for fulfillment. That often we believe that that's the path to flourishing. That this is the way the world should work. But if we desire to listen to Jesus if we really believe that he has the authority, if we really believe that he's the king, if we want to take him seriously, then we need to listen to what he actually says. The path to flourishing really is. That this is the way. And so today we'll we'll be looking at the next beatitude, that Jesus is a God of mercy and his kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. And therefore Christians are a people of mercy. So turn with me in your bulletins as I read Matthew 5, verse 7. This is God's word. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray together. Dear God, uh, we need you. We need you right here, right now. We need you to meet us here. Uh, We need your mercy. We need... uh, you to move in our hearts. We need you to soften where we need to be softened. That we may know you, that we may look like you. So God, I please, I ask you that you would do that tonight. It's in Christ's name, amen. So whenever I think about mercy, it makes me think of a scene from the original Spider-Man movie, the one with Tobey Maguire that came out in 2002. Uh, how many, uh, I'm just curious, were any of you born after 2002? Okay. So this is, this is like an oldie, right? This is like something way old, you know, maybe your parents watched it. 
Uh, it's a classic, right? Um, so there's this scene in the original Spider-Man movie when Peter Parker has just gotten his superpowers. And, and so in order to, to make some money, what he does is he responds to an ad in the paper to win $3,000 uh, by being able to survive three minutes in a ring with this giant gargantuan of a man named Bonesaw. Y'all remember the scene? Yeah. All right, yeah. So uh, Peter responds to the ad, and, and with his newly acquired powers, he defeats Bonesaw. Uh, the ad says three minutes, but Peter Parker, he defeats him in two minutes. Uh, and so he goes to collect his earnings, and he's given $100 by the owner. Because, you know, the ad said to survive three minutes, and he pinned him in two minutes. So for that, he should be grateful for $100. Obviously extremely unfair, right? Well, right then a robber comes in, and he holds the owner at gunpoint. And takes all the owner's money, and runs down the hall. And Peter Parker, obviously with all the power to be able to stop this guy, decides to just let him run off with the money, right? Remember this? Why? Because to Peter, this guy didn't deserve any bit of this guy, any bit of his help. This guy got what was owed to him, right? Let's be honest, he did deserve it. Now, the, now this story makes me think of this beatitude because often, like Peter, it's extremely hard for us to offer mercy to those we know and believe and don't think that they deserve it. In other words, it's really hard to love those who don't love you back, who have mistreated you, who have responded to you in, in hateful ways, who have wronged you, who've rejected you, who have looked down on you, who have hurt you. You know, like Peter, it's, it's way easier to just let them get what they think, what you think they deserve. But know this, walking in God's kingdom, it's a life of being merciful. And so here's three things about a life of mercy that I want us to look at. So all, all of kind of the linear thinkers that need a, an outline, here, here's this part for you. What are the three things? We're going to look at the pattern of mercy. We're going to look at the power of mercy. And then we're going to look at the path to mercy. So three Ps, the power of mercy, or the pattern of mercy, the power of mercy, and the path to mercy. So number one, the pattern of mercy. In other words, what does walking in mercy look like? Well, one thing you're, you'll quickly come across in story after story after story of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is mercy. It is actually on every page of Scripture. In fact, the reason we are even able to be in this room and able to hear God's word it's because of his mercy towards us. The fact that you and I can sit with our Bibles in our lap and look at scripture is mercy. It's merciful that we can hear from God, that God is not far off, that he, he actually condescends to us. 
That's mercy. That in the Bible, we have a God who was perfect in every way, is perfect in every way, in himself. He's perfectly content. He is perfectly satisfied in and of himself. He's perfect in harmony and relationship as a triune God of three persons. He isn't bored or seeking fulfillment in some capacity in order to interact with you. And this God on page one of scripture, he makes the heavens and the earth. Why? Because he's a merciful God. That's why. He creates light out of darkness. He brings life where there's no life. Because, not because he needs to, because he's merciful, because he wants to. He creates people to experience his glory and perfection and harmony in relationship. Why? Because he's a merciful God. This is why when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord. What? A God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So know this, if you don't know mercy, you don't know God. It's why people were confused with Jesus. In Matthew 9, the the Pharisees, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then Jesus says this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So know that in this time period, rabbis or Bible teachers, what they called Jesus, rabbi, teacher. uh, In this time, they didn't waste time on people who they felt would respond poorly to them. You know, they didn't care, uh, you know, people who maybe didn't care about the Bible. Why, why would they waste time on them? Or for heaven's sake, people who were living in some horrible sin. Like, let them just have that. Let's, let's focus on the people who are going to be there. But you know who did? Jesus. He hung out with the ones with the messy lifestyle. He hung out with the ones who were were rough around the edges. He, He hung out and he invested his time with those that certainly didn't care about God and his word. Now, why? Because Jesus is a God of mercy. That's why. And he wants his people to show mercy. And he says that this is actually the pattern of life that I want you to live. I want you to look like this. So what exactly does this pattern look like? Well, Jesus basically is asked this very question in Luke 10. Uh, Many of you may have heard this passage. This is the, the Good Samaritan passage. And it's the perfect illustration for this. So he's asked the question, who is my neighbor? In other words, who am I supposed to love, Jesus? And Jesus used the illustration of the good Samaritan to to show the pattern of what this looks like. That this Samaritan man, this man from a different culture, from different beliefs, 
from different politics, different background. Uh, He helps this Jewish man in need. How does he help him? Well, he's compassionate. That he, he recognizes that this man is hurting. And it hurts him. Not only this, but his compassion moves him. It causes him to provide what this man really needs. He puts him on his donkey. He probably goes out of his way or or leaves his business or his agenda uh, to make sure this man gets cared for. And he willingly takes the cost for this Jewish man in need. And Jesus then asked this question at the end of the story. He doesn't ask the original question of who is my neighbor? He asks, who became a neighbor to this man? Who, who looked like a neighbor? Who became one? In other words, who willingly followed the pattern of being a neighbor? And the man who asked the original question just stumbles a little bit. It says the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Do the same pattern. So I ask you, you want to walk with Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? You want to serve his people? You know, I know that the pattern of following Jesus, it isn't to be only with those who make you feel comfortable or, or really treat you and respond well to you. It, it, it's not only meeting with people that have responded to your gospel message that believe the same things as you. No, it's having compassion for those that are lost, that are hurting, that are sinners. It's having compassion for the ways that sin has affected someone's life. It's recognizing that as a child made in the image of God, that this person has dignity, but also has been marred and affected and changed by the effects of sin. And it causes you to have compassion for them. Like a physician who wants a patient to be healed. And not just feeling for them from a distance, but getting involved, moving towards them for their good, taking the cost for their good, giving up your need to just be liked, your need to be respected, your need to have vengeance, your need to tell someone that they're wrong even, but taking the cost, moving towards them in love, that this is the pattern of mercy, guys. This, this is what Jesus did. Now, this is also something that almost seems and, and really is impossible. It's impossible without God. So next, it, the power, the power of mercy. That this is something, it, it, it's almost counterintuitive, right? It's crazy. It feels impossible. It feels like you are losing Like you are losing everything. Like you are the ones who are giving up everything uh, for someone else to receive everything. That they get everything, you get nothing. 
But guys, know this. There's a reason that Jesus says this is the way for flourishing. That this is a beatitude. That being merciful, it's not only good to others, but it's good for you. That the pattern of living is the best thing for you. Now, why is that? Because mercy changes people. Both the people that receive mercy and the people that give mercy. It really does something. There's a story about a woman who approached um, Abraham Lincoln after the Civil War was over. And honestly, I've, I've heard that this story isn't true, but it's still a good, it's still a good story. Uh, anyway, so she approaches Abraham Lincoln after the Civil War's over. And Abraham Lincoln, he's in the process of uniting uh, the South back into the country, uh, uniting them with the northern states. And so he's providing this provision. He's trying to help clean up the mess. Uh, he's giving them what they need. And this woman basically reproaches Abraham Lincoln uh, about his attitude towards them. And he says, she says, they're enemies. They should be destroyed. And Abraham Lincoln says this, Madame, I don't know if he said it like that. Uh, Madam, <laughs> how can I better destroy my enemies than making them my friends? It says in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, uh, though perhaps for a good person, maybe one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As enemies to God, we were not destroyed. But rather we were shown mercy and instead of enemies, we become friends with God. Sons and daughters of God. Mercy changes people. It's powerful. What if the way God wants to heal you of your anger, of your resentment at others who have wronged you? Or what if he wants to satisfy your passion for injustice and your cries for just people to do right, to serve God rightly, or to just do the right thing? Uh, what if it's not to separate or to isolate or just find other people that will make you feel better, agree with you? What if the way God wants to change and heal you is by the process of mercy that you show towards those people? That you move towards them in compassion, not with judgment, not, not with just wanting to tell them they're wrong, not with revenge, but with curiosity, but with asking them questions, with Wondering, what are they really seeking? What are they really after? With longing for their deeper hurts and needs to be met in Jesus. And what, what if this pattern of mercy, what if what it does is allow people to be changed by the power of mercy? For when it changes the other person when they receive love like this. I mean... Have you ever received that kind of mercy? Have you ever received that kind of mercy from someone? 
that you've wronged. And they've looked at you and said, I love you and I want what's best for you. It's, it's amazing. Does it, does it not just amaze you that someone would be that way towards you? But also it, it changes you. <laughs> A verse that's often quoted out of context is Matthew 18, 20. And y'all, y'all have probably heard this. I, I mean, maybe sometimes you've quoted it. it. That's okay. But it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. The context of this is in the midst of two people that are in a huge conflict of someone who has wronged that person. And Jesus reminds them that I'm with you. I am with you in that. You're not losing. You're experiencing more of my presence in this moment because of the way you are following my pattern. You're experiencing what, who I am. You're walking with me. There should be no greater joy for us. Now, we talked about the pattern. We talked about the power. But how do we really become merciful people? What is the path to mercy? And notice that Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's what the verse says. Now, what he's not saying here is that in order for you to even get mercy, you have to show and do mercy. That it's conditional upon the way that you perform. Like all the Beatitudes, what Jesus is showing is that the character of one who is merciful is one who knows that they need mercy. And not only that, but one who knows that they've received mercy. It's one who understands the mercy they need over and over and over and over again. And then when they finally get over that one thing, it's it's their realization that they need mercy for the next thing. And then they need it again. And then they need it again and, and again and again. That the path to mercy is not to just work really hard. It's not just to go, just go do it. Just be merciful. No, the path to mercy is to bask in the mercy you've been given. It's to, of course, recognize the compassion that others need because of how much compassion you know you need. It's to move towards others in love and forgiveness because you know how much love and forgiveness you need, how much love and forgiveness you receive minute by minute from Jesus. It's to give up your needs, your desires, your wants. It's to die to yourself. Because you recognize that Jesus died for you. That he was ripped apart on the cross for your good. Because he loved you. As an enemy of God, he loved you. That's the path to mercy. Some of you have heard this story before, um, but about a decade ago, I received a call from a hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. And this is is probably one of those moments that really has transformed my life Uh, because the person on the other end said, Mr. Sweat, we've been trying to reach you. 
uh, we have your father here. And he's been in a terrible car accident. And he's in the ICU. And he, he may die. And we need you because you're the next of kin. You have, we have no one else that can help make decisions for him to survive. Now, I hadn't talked to my dad in two years. And before then, it was just little awkward phone calls uh, every now and then. And this man, my dad, he took everything from me. He hurt me deeply. It, it's a guy that I, have, I despised. And if I'm honest, it, there's still many ways I despise him. In many ways, I hated. In many ways, I was angry. In many ways, I wanted revenge. And he needed me to care for his life in the hospital. But can I tell you in that moment, uh, God was just as concerned with loving me than he was with caring for my dad. That God was just as concerned with changing me for my good. Because going to that hospital and looking at my dad in the face and saying, I forgive you. I want what's best for you. God showed me that I was that guy. I'm the guy on the bed. I'm the guy in the bed. I, I'm the guy who abandoned Jesus. I'm the man who selfishly did what I wanted at the expense of Jesus. And in that moment, I can still just picture Jesus looking at me and saying, I forgive you. I love you. I want you. I give you mercy. Know that none of us can truly do mercy unless you experience the full mercy of Jesus longingly moving towards you in compassion and forgiveness that maybe some of you here tonight, you feel stuck. You know, you feel like, I can't walk down that road, Davis. I can't. It's too hard. It's too costly. You don't know what they've done. They don't get it. Maybe you're just too tired. Maybe you feel just too weak. And guys, you know what you need in that moment? You need mercy. You need mercy. You need to recognize back to what we even talked about in week one. That you are poor in spirit. That you need help. That you certainly can't give mercy if you don't have mercy. You especially need mercy when you are overcome with anger, when you're overcome with resentment, when you're overcome with hatred in your heart at someone. Let your lack of mercy move you closer and closer and closer to the realization of how much you need mercy. <laughs> That's what God does. He uses it. And so as I close, I, I think later on in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, which is what the Beatitudes takes place in, I think one of the most frightening statements of Jesus is at the end when Jesus says this, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we do many works in your name? And then I'll declare to him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Later on in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tie the mints and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And here's what they are. They're justice and mercy and faithfulness. These ought you to have done without neglecting the others. What are the weightier matters of the law? What is the will of God? It's to seek justice and to love mercy. You want to follow Jesus? Are you merciful? But know this. St. Augustine once said this. Oh God, demand what you will. And please give what you demand. That while this is a requirement of walking in God's kingdom, and mercy is. Know that giving mercy, it's not a zero-sum game. That it may feel like you are giving everything and you are receiving nothing, but understand that you get so much more. You get so much more. You experience more compassion when you give compassion. You experience even greater mercy when you give mercy. You show even more love for Jesus when you see how much further he loves you. So as we just sang earlier, our sins, they are many. But guys, his mercy is more. His mercy is more. It's more than we even can imagine. It's more. Let that be your motivation to understand that others, other sins, they are many. But we're a people whose mercy is more. Because we serve a God whose mercy is more. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being a God of mercy. We thank you for being a God who lovingly moves towards us in our need, even when we are enemies, and you transform us. That you are relentless that you don't idly just sit and wait, but you move towards us because you desire and you long for us to be transformed by you. And you know that you are the way. You are the way to flourishing. So God, I just pray that tonight in this room that we would receive this. We would experience this. We would know this. And that we would move towards each other in love and mercy. It's in Christ's name. Amen.